Second Corinthians chapter 7. Last week my intention had been to teach from verses 1 down to 9, but we, we seem to not get past verse 1, and that's okay. It was a good verse. It still is a good verse, by the way. Um, in this passage here today, in this chapter, the Apostle Paul... Let me give you the, the backdrop, the history, then we're going to have a word of prayer, then we're going to dive in. We have the book of 1 Corinthians. That was a letter written to the church at Corinth by the Apostle Paul. He was their spiritual father. He had spent 18 months with them, established a church, preached the gospel, people had become saved, and he spent time there with them, helping them to grow in their faith. Then he left. Then he heard about some, a lot of wrong things going on in the church, particularly a man that was in an incestuous relationship with his stepmother. And the Corinthians were just letting it go. They weren't responding. They weren't correcting the problem at all. So, so news got to Paul. And so he wrote them another letter, which we don't have. It's not part of, this, of the canon of Scripture. Uh, commentators call it the severe letter because he kind of gave them a spanking. He really, he really corrected them and really, really rebuked them and said, this is not proper. How can you let these things go on? And then he didn't hear back from them. Have you ever left a, left a difficult message for someone? Hey, we need to talk. Or you try to talk to them and then you don't hear from them and you're like, oh boy, do they hate me? Do they still like me? Did they receive it? Are, we, are they going to block me on Facebook? Are we no longer BFFs, best friends forever? Are, what happened? Are, you know, are they rejecting me wholesale? Or, or did they receive it as a word from the Lord? So the Apostle Paul leaves, leaves Corinth and he, he stopped to see how things were going. Had they made corrections? It seems there was still tension there. Paul said, it's better for me to just leave. He wanted to return, but he didn't. Have you ever had a relationship like that where you want to go see the, that person again, but you know if you do, you're probably walking into a tense situation and it's not the right time. So he sends Titus down there to check on things. And then he goes and he waits in Macedonia and he's waiting and he's waiting and he's waiting. And then finally Titus comes back with the good news and he says, the Corinthians received your correction. They totally love you. They totally see what they did wrong and they were very energetic to correct the problem. And now Paul's like, yes! You know, just all excited about it, so thankful that uh, they received that word. So that's what we're looking at today. Let's have a word of prayer, shall we? We'll get into the details of the passage. Father, thank you for your good love towards us. Thank you, Lord, for people in our lives that have been like Paul, that have corrected us in love, that have taken the chance and put their hearts and their lives on the line, Lord, in that sense, not knowing if we would respond. And maybe even some of us today are in the midst of this, Lord, needing to talk to someone or needing to have someone talk to us. May our hearts align with yours, Lord, for your glory, for the beauty of your gospel, God. Thank you so much. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we, we camped out on verse 1. I'm just going to read it again, just touch on it, and then we're going to dive into the rest of the chapter. In chapter, end of chapter 6, Paul had been telling the Corinthians, look at, separate yourself from these people that you've joined yourself to. They had joined themselves to some, some ungodly people, and it was affecting their relationship with Paul. And he said, you need to separate yourselves and God will be your father and he will walk with you and you'll experience him more. And he says in verse 1, therefore having these promises, the promises of chapter 6, verse uh, 16, 17, and 18, 
Since we have these promises from God, beloved, notice he's correcting them, but he calls them beloved. When we correct people, we really need to be sure it's in love. Amen? We really need to love them, not just stand over them and shout at them or something like that. Having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfect a holiness in the fear of God. And so we talked about sometimes when we are the one that needs to be talked to, when we are the one whose actions and our lifestyle and our attitudes are wrong, we need to have someone come and talk to us. And then we need to respond and say, you're right, I've been doing the wrong thing, been thinking the wrong thing, been saying the wrong thing, my heart's wrong, you're absolutely right. So Paul says, look, get rid of those things and you'll walk closer to the Lord. You'll enjoy the Lord more. That's, that's, a, good, that's a good offer, isn't it? Anybody want to enjoy the Lord more? There's five of us. Just, just for fun. Anybody want to enjoy the Lord more? Yeah, of course we do. There's, a, there's an old illustration that I've always been fond of, and it's about uh, uh, an older couple driving down the road, and in front of them is a, obviously a younger couple, and the guy's driving like this, and he's got his arm around his girl, and she's, you know, you know how it is when you start going out with someone, and you're driving like this. That's in bench, when they had bench seats, you know. You younger people look it up. Anyway, there's been, you know, you're driving like this, and then... And then the, the older woman, the older wife in, in the car and bent back, she says to her husband, why don't we sit like that anymore? Yeah. And he says, well, who moved? <laughs> He's kind of stuck here, right? Slide on over, sweetie. You know? When we're far away from the Lord, guess who moved? It wasn't him, right? It's us, right? And so as we cleanse ourselves from wrong attitudes and wrong actions, we enjoy all these wonderful promises, the closeness of God the encouragement of God. Something sneaks up on you. Uh, an emergency or a tragedy or a hardship comes out of nowhere. You don't have to say, God, where are you? Because you were close to him just this morning. There's no, there's no time delay. There's no gap. So the Apostle Paul is encouraging them. Here in, in verses 2 and 3, let's read. Paul says, Open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have defrauded no one. I do not say this to condemn for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. There was a damaged relationship between Paul and the Corinthians. They, they, they were the ones that slid the other way on the bench seat. They were the ones that had moved away from the Lord. And as we move away from the Lord, we move away from people that are close to the Lord. Have you ever noticed that? Maybe a Christian that's starting to compromise in their lives. Suddenly they're not so comfortable in church anymore. Suddenly they're not so comfortable hanging out with you anymore because they want to compromise and you don't. And they start to feel that conviction. They start to feel that appropriate guilt. They start to feel that. And Paul's saying, look it, open your hearts to us. We're, we're kind of estranged, but essentially what he's saying, it wasn't us. He's saying, and this is a hard thing to say to someone, isn't it? He said, it's you. It's not us. And look what he says here. Three things, we've wronged no one, we've corrupted no one, we've cheated no one. We haven't injured you. The reason that we're separated here and that there's distance between us, the reason that we're not close, isn't because we hurt you or ruined you or taken advantage of you. And so there's a lesson here for us, guys. When we are going to talk to someone, let's say that you're in the position of Paul and there's someone that you love and somebody that you care about and you want to talk to them and you feel like there's something amiss in their lives. 
Paul, what does he call them? Verse 1, beloved. He doesn't say, you Dumbo, or anything like that. He calls them beloved. And so Paul here is able to go to them with a clear conscience. He's examined himself already. Isn't this what Jesus told us? Look at your notes in Matthew chapter 7. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So, if you are currently in the position and you're feeling a burden for someone, a fellow believer, or even an unbeliever, and you're feeling a burden for them and you, you, you need to speak into their lives and there's something, issues or attitudes that need to be addressed, be sure at first to check your own heart. Do a heart inventory. Think about if they start to, to resist a little bit, are you going to go go get angry with them right away? Are you going to blow up? Or do you think you're like, you know, 10 degrees better than they are or something like that? Are they, are they a beloved to you? Before we go talk to people, we need to examine our own hearts. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying here in verse 2. He said, open your hearts to us, which says that their hearts had been closed because their hearts were closing to God. And then he says these three things. We haven't wronged you. We haven't corrupted anyone. We haven't cheated anyone. So if you are in that position of needing to talk to someone, please, guys, do an inventory. Do a self-examination. And ask the Lord, Lord, search me, God. See if there be any wicked way in me. And, And have him show you if there's an attitude that needs to be adjusted first or really repented of before you go talk to that person. So also in verse 2, open your hearts to us. As I said, that means their hearts were closed. Why were their hearts closed? This is an open book test. General Bible knowledge appreciated. I'm the teacher. You're the class. The first one to get the right answer gets an extra cookie out in the courtyard afterwards. Why were their hearts closed? Anybody got an idea on that? Raise your hand if you want to. It's a cookie. You you have to raise your hand and I have to call on you. Okay, Vicki? Say it again, Vicky. Because, because of sin, their hearts were hardened. What particular sins? Now, I want to make sure you guys are listening. That's one cookie. We've got more. <laughs> now, you, are, you, you can't go double down, okay? Come on, guys. Talk to me. Raise your hand. Come on. I'm going to stand here. The question is, open your hearts to us. Their hearts were closed to Paul. Why? Yeah, Connie. False teachers. They'd been listening to the wrong people. They were getting the wrong idea about the Apostle Paul. They were questioning his authority. Thanks. Cookie for you. If you don't want it, give it to your hubby. Yeah, give it to your those, those promises are transferable. Cookie promises are transferable. One more person. Why else? Why, why else were, they, were their hearts hard? Yeah, Jen. They were yoked together with the wrong people. If we join ourselves closely to ungodly relationships, guess, guess one of the places you don't want to be on Sunday morning? Church. Because your heart's going in a wrong direction. If your heart's going away from the Lord, you're not anxious to go be with God's people or with the Lord. You're not anxious to. So he's saying here, he's just telling them the truth, open your hearts to us. We didn't do anything. And that's kind of bold, isn't it? I, you know, sometimes I, I've heard people say, we should never defend yourself 
I, th- I think there's, it's not so much a defense as it, as it is an explanation and I'm helping them to understand the situation. Hey, there's, there's a problem between us, but, but, but brother, sister, friend, wife, husband, I don't think I did anything. And he's just pleading his case for the purpose of reconciliation, not for getting out from under you know, their anger or something like that. He wants to be reconciled with them. And so, open your hearts. We haven't done anything. Now notice verse 3. This is really, really beautiful. Before I go on, the fruit of sin, guys, the fruit of sin will always be disunity, separation, division, lack of love and affection. If you find yourself getting bugged by the things of God and by the people of God, the people of God can be buggy, I will admit, but if you find yourself being bugged by all of them, examine yourself. Are you yoked up with the wrong people? Are you believing the wrong things? That's often the case. Verse 3, I do not say this to condemn you. I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together, to live together. Paul was correcting them, but he wasn't condemning them. Guys, we live, you know, I'm only 61. I hope to make it a little longer. But in my days, and I'm starting to sound like an old fossilized dinosaur. I don't want to be T-Rex because he has short arms, okay? I want to be something else. But in my day, I, I can't remember a season where people are so doggone sensitive. It's like you can't say anything to anybody or else you're going to get a lawsuit slapped on you. Do you know now that churches have to take out uh, insurance policies against lawsuits about such things? Somebody could come in and just say, Bill said the wrong thing and we're suing the church. And I said, well, you know, uh, you're driving drunk all the time, you're in sin. My feelings are hurt, I'm suing you. I mean, it's a little bit ridiculous, but not too far off. And it's just kind of human nature anyway, isn't it, to not want to be told that you're wrong. But look at verse 3. I'm not condemning you. And there's some of us, and probably all of us at times, don't make me feel bad. Don't say that. It makes me feel guilty. And my response sometimes would be, you are guilty. Well, you're making me feel bad. You should feel bad. Well, I feel ashamed. You should feel ashamed. Guys, there's a, there's a time and a place for us to feel really badly about sinning. And may I say to you, when you sin, you should always feel badly about it. You should feel convicted. You should feel ashamed. You should feel sorry. But there seems to be some kind of attitude in the society that we live in. It's like, I never want to feel bad. It's not my fault. It's my parents. I'm shifting the blame. And it's just my idiosyncrasies. And don't tell me that I'm wrong. Don't tell me that I'm wrong. Well, you're telling me that I'm wrong. So I can't tell you. You see what I'm saying? It, even, it doesn't even make sense. You can never tell me that I'm wrong because it makes me feel bad. Well, you're telling me that I'm wrong and it makes me feel bad. So, so who wins? You know? Are you guys tracking with me? We live in a society that is so ridiculously, in my opinion, in many cases, sensitive. If somebody comes and, and says to you, and they come lovingly, and, and they've examined their own hearts, and hopefully they're not coming, you know, fists flying and that kind of thing, and they're saying, I, I see something in your life and I'm kind of concerned about it. Can we talk? Dere- I mean, emotionally, I understand right away. I'm like, okay, hang on here a little bit. Am I willing to sit down and listen to it? Am I willing to say to that person, okay, I'm going to believe, I'm going to give you the, the benefit of the doubt, I believe you're coming in love, and uh, I'll tell you what, can you give me three days to, to, 
to think about it and pray about it. The first day will be to get over my anger. The second day will be to, to figure out that I'm not going to take revenge on you. And the third day, I'm being a little funny here, but can you just laugh with me a little? The third day will be so that I can actually come back to you and, and talk and have a good attitude. And sometimes that happens to us, doesn't it? I'm offended. Well, take 48 hours and I'll buy you lunch and just think about it. And if I'm wrong, then gosh, then I'm wrong, you know. But I think maybe the Lord wants to help you with something in your life here. What's the point I'm trying to make? I'm glad that you guys asked. The point I'm trying to make is because you feel bad isn't a reason to never listen to anyone. Your feelings are not God. My feelings are not God. God is God. Jesus is Lord. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of God. And so please let us not be people who will never listen to any correction at all because it makes us feel bad. I'm being a little facetious today, but that's just how sensitive we can be. And quite honestly, that's what babies do. That's what babies do. Sometimes we're still, we're adult people with, with a, a childish immaturity. And it can happen to any one of us, me, myself included. I'm not, I'm not immune to that kind of thing. Look at your notes there, Proverbs 15. He who disdains instruction despises his own soul. He who heeds rebuke gets understanding. It's wise to, it's wise to listen to correction, guys. Look at verse 3. Let's keep moving. Paul's really trying to convince them how much he loves them. I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. He just kind of says, boy, it doesn't even matter what happens to you or even if you do respond correctly or not. I love you no matter what. That's a good goal for us, isn't it? To love people no matter what. Amen, guys? Verse 4. Look at the things he says here. Now, now Paul, Paul is stepping out on a limb. He's, he's, he's stepping out to the edge of the cliff. How much, am, how much can I say to you? I'm taking a chance. And I, I want to encourage you guys to think about this. If I have a friend that's kind of done, done something really stupid and I really love this person and I, and I step out and I, and I want to address that thing with them, guess who's at risk? I am. And if you're addressing something with somebody... And there's a chance that they're going to say, you hurt my feelings, our friendship is over, all those things. You, we take a risk when we want to step out and, and bring correction to someone or exhort them or even rebuke them about something. You take a risk. Love is risky that way. Love is costly that way. And once again, whereas the person receiving the correction, they don't want their feelings hurt. Sometimes we say, well, I don't want to talk to him. I love him too much to correct him. Now who are you? Who are you? Who am I thinking about? I'm thinking about me. I don't, want to, I don't want to correct them because they might not like who? Me. So that whole sensitivity thing works both ways. I don't want to say anything because they're so sensitive. But if they say anything back, I don't want to hear it because I'm so sensitive. We need to have a big pillow fight. Just get all your all your, all that angst out. Just get, and then we'll have like follow it up with nerf nerf guns, those foam arrows, and we'll just just attack each other with silly string. Let's get it all. You know what I'm saying? We're 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 afraid. 
Take, we're talking about, this isn't Christian, Christianity 101. This is, this is like, you know, uh, upper division Christian living. It takes some maturity, doesn't it? It takes some faith. So Paul says, Great is my boldness, verse 4. Great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. Great is my boldness. I'm saying some hard things to you. Great is my boasting. He also said, even though I'm having to correct you, I'm still really proud of you. Remember, guys, if we're correcting a fellow believer, guess what they still are? A fellow believer. They have renounced the world. They're not perfect, neither are we. But they have renounced the world and there's some things to be found that, are, that, that promote a godly pride for them. He says, I'm filled with comfort. I'm exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. Paul was going through hard things. But remember, by the time he's writing 2 Corinthians, he had already received the report back. He already knew that everything was okay. Now he's just kind of summarizing. I had to say some hard things to you, but you know what? Even though I'm getting chased by the Judaizers and I'm accused by the false apostles and I might go to jail again, my joy is that you guys received the truth and that you repented. I'm so joyful about that. I pray that we would be joyful about that same thing too. Verse 5, Indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. We were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. He doesn't give us detail about that. But he just simply says, and you guys know what this is like, don't you? You've been reaching out to someone. You said that thing to them after church one day. Can I talk to you? We're, we're friends on Facebook and I see these pictures and I, I don't know what to think and I'm a little bit worried about you. Well, how dare you? You think you're better than me? No, I don't think I'm... You think you're better than me. I'm storming off. Where's my car? I have to get a cookie first. Where's my car? I, I'm out of here. And then you're thinking, oh my gosh, did I do this wrong? I, I examined my heart. I've been praying. I really love this person and they won't... And now they're mad at me and I couldn't even say anything and they... And I don't even know what to think now. And you go home and the water heater breaks. <laughs> right? And the neighbor's dog tore up your flowers. And, I, you know, you have this thing that's so dear to your heart and you still have life to deal with. And, all, and that's how complicated it gets, doesn't it? I mean, isn't the Bible relevant? Isn't it true? Isn't it a clear reflection of life as we know it? And Paul's just simply saying that. When we came to Macedonia... Our flesh had no rest. We couldn't even sleep. We were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts. Inside were fears. Plus, I'm thinking about those people that I love. This is, this is not... Guys, if you want to follow Jesus, guess what? Buckle up, right? If you want to follow Jesus... Guys, may, may I say this? I'm really proud of you guys in, in so many ways. Because I see you working through stuff. I, I see you accepting hardship. I see all those things. To follow Jesus is, is not like going to Disneyland. Disneyland, did you know that Disneyland isn't actually real? It's just an, an amusement park. And it seems like a lot of people think that following Jesus should be like going to an amusement park. It's not. It's a battle, isn't it, sometimes? Even just with things, you know, one or two Strained relationships can weigh me down like a ton of bricks. How about you guys? One or two things that are pulling on my heart like that can just derail me for a time. 
plus the water heater, the barking dog, all the other things. That's all that Paul is saying. We still have to work through things well, don't we? Verse 6, beautiful. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comfort us by the coming of Titus. Titus stopped and talked to him. Titus kind of played the messenger for Paul because Paul was like, if I go back again, this might blow up even worse. So he sent Titus to check on him. Verse 6, Nevertheless, God who comforts, us, comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, not only by his coming, but also with the consolation with which he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. Boy, Paul was relieved. He, did, he didn't know what was going to happen. <laughs> Here, here's the thing. Let's say you're having a conflict with somebody and let's say you're married and Mr. Smith, uh, you know, has offended Mr. Jones and Mr. and Mrs. Jones are now looking out the windows and giving stink eye to Mr. Smith, you know, and, and so Mr. Smith, well, I don't want to go talk to him and he goes, honey, you go. <laughs> he says, Mrs. Smith. It's kind of what Paul did. He didn't want to, he didn't want to inflame the situation but he also just thought, man, I don't know what's going to happen. I want you guys to feel the passion here because this is the passion that we go through. This is what you go through. This is very real stuff. The Mormons aren't going aren't to ruin your day probably or the Jehovah's Witness or the local Satanist organization. They're not going to ruin your day. You know what's going to ruin your day maybe? The Christian across the pew. The people that we hang out with because we're up close and personal and we're bearing our hearts to one another. Those are the things that can just go, just drive you crazy. So the Apostle Paul here says, Titus came back, end of verse 7, he was comforted, he, he was comforted in you, he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. Oh, what relief it was. And sometimes we don't know what we're getting into. Would you guys look down at the bottom of the first page? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under your feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Jesus is saying there's a time and a place in certain situations where you just don't talk to the people because they'll turn on you. No show of hands there, guys. <laughs> they'll turn on you. And you just have to walk away and say, God, deal with it. I don't, know, I don't even know what to do with that person anymore. And so there is wisdom sometimes in maybe not communicating for a time. But the point I want to make, and we're going to keep moving, when we, when we seek to rectify difficult situations, are you guys with me? Yeah. Are you all thinking about you're that person right now? Yeah. <laughs> Good. When we seek to rectify these difficult situations, you're taking a risk. And if you want to live risk-free, then don't follow Jesus. Because he said you have to pick up your... How often? Every day. If you want to live risk-free, don't follow Jesus. Or like Pastor Rob had said about some of the kids, Jesus was an accessory, but he wasn't the center. Jesus needs to be the center of everything. Even your weird, strained relationships with people. Even that. And we take a chance when we talk to people. It's necessary. Look at verse 8. Even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, 
For I perceive that the same epistle, the word epistle is another word for letter, I I perceive that the same letter made you sorry, though only for a while. Verse 9, Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance, for you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. The word sorrow means grief and heaviness. So Paul writes this letter and he says, I know it was the right thing to do, but man, at the time, I couldn't sleep. My paraphrase. When I sent it, I sent it, and then I was... I'm going to show you guys a demonstration. Sometimes, don't you just wish you could kind of kick yourself in the rear? My leg just doesn't work that way, but man, sometimes I wish it did. It's like, what was I thinking? I shouldn't have said that to them. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have sent that letter. I shouldn't have sent that text message. I shouldn't have sent, shouldn't have sent that email. Oh, I wish I could just kick myself in the rear. That's not vulgar, is it? You guys okay? <laughs> Sometimes I, oh, was I right to do that? Oh, I don't know. Oh, man, did I make it worse? That's what Paul's going through. He sent the letter, and now it's all worked out. He goes, I, I don't regret it now, but I was really doubting myself then. Isn't this real life? It's real life. Turn it over. Turn the page over. I did regret it, but he says, I perceive the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. I hate making people feel bad. Most people. (laughs) No, I hate making people feel bad. That can be crippling. Sometimes in my efforts to not make people feel bad, I won't tell them the truth that they need to hear. That's That's not maturity on my part or your part when we do that. And if you say that you're speaking for the Lord, then boy, we better examine our hearts. Amen? better examine our hearts to make sure we are speaking for the Lord. There is no personal agenda and that we don't have a history of damaging that person. This is Christianity, upper division. He says, verse 9, I rejoice, not that you were made sorry. I'm really happy, not that you felt bad, but that your sorrow led to repentance. This is so critical. You were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. The, the idea of repentance, it means a reversal or a turnaround or a change. Now, I want you to follow this with me. I'm going to say, okay, uh, brother here, um, you know, can we talk a little bit? Yeah, I see these things in your life, and I'm mad at you. I didn't mean to make you mad. I'm mad. I feel bad. Why are you making me feel bad, Pastor? Do you think you're better than me? I don't think I'm better than you. Well, I'm just out of here. I've, and then I, you're, you're kind of gone for a week, and then you, you kind of finally come back and go, boy, I just was really angry at you for three or four days and I was just steaming and I put your picture up on my dartboard. Oh, I was so mad at you. And, but you know what? You were right. And I go, wipe the holy sweat off the holy brow. It's like, wow, I'm so glad. And that's what we go through with people. There was repentance in that hypothetical situation and with the Corinthians, they felt bad. If you don't want to feel bad, then, then, then live it up. Live for yourself. But there are going to be times when the Spirit of God comes and corrects us and convicts us of sin. There are going to be times when we should feel bad. I, I even want to dare to say this. If, if you never feel bad about your sin, you're probably not born again. The Spirit of God isn't working in you unless there's conviction. And it's not about making you feel bad. Feeling bad is part of it, but it's that feeling bad that needs to lead to a a conviction and and a determination in our lives to say, you know what, I really need to stop doing this thing. This thing needs to change. Not making promises to God that I'll never do it again. Never make that promise, by the way. 
And I don't think God's looking for, for promises that we'll never do it again. It's just that, you know what, Lord, I feel bad, and this person, they made me angry, but they're right and you're right, and I really need to change. So I agree with you. That's repentance. I agree with you, God, that this is not okay, and I agree with you that my actions need to change, and now by your grace, I'm going to do everything I can to change my actions. That's, that's, godly, that's godly sorrow. Look at verse 10. Let's move on. He says, Godly sorrow produces repentance to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world leads to death. There's two kinds of sorrow, and he says, first there's godly sorrow. It leads to repentance. If you feel bad about something because God has spoken to you or perhaps a person, don't be, don't be angry at that situation, at that person or at the Lord that you made me feel bad. Sometimes we need to feel bad. But it should be not just to make us feel bad, but that will change that we will agree with the Lord. The word salvation means to rescue, to bring to safety, to deliver, to bring back to health. And when that situation has run its course, the person goes, man, it was really hard when that person confronted me, but I'm glad they did. I was really angry at that person, angry at God for a while, but I'm glad they said something because I needed to have somebody grab me by the collar and shake me. And they were loving enough to do it. He says there's another thing called worldly sorrow and it's sorrow without repentance. You don't recognize the sin. You're just mad that somebody said something. You don't recognize the sin. You don't have any faith or hope in God. You perceive the whole thing as an attack. You see yourself as a victim. It's not your fault. My parents, it's the environment, it's everything else, but you never own it. With the, with the people that I have been around, that I've been able to help as they're using drugs, I discovered that they often just talked about everybody else and never themselves. And this it could be about anger, it could be about any kind of sinful behavior, but I was watching Law and Order with Debbie one time, and there was a kid on there who was using cocaine, and the, the, it's, amazing, it's amazing what you can learn from TV. And the, and the officer said, until he quits seeing himself as a victim, he'll never change. And I realized, that's it. And all of that other stuff might be true. All the bad things that have been done to you. Guess what, everybody? Everybody in the room's a victim. Everybody's been wronged somehow. Now somebody comes and says, brother, sister, this thing in your life, and you, and you, well, it's not my fault, and they, and this, and that, and, and all. Okay, all of that might really be true. But it's secondary to the fact, does God want to correct this thing in your life? Well, I feel bad. Isn't that enough? No, actually it's not. It's not about feeling bad. If feeling bad solved problems, we'd all be really healthy. <laughs> you guys with me? If feeling bad solves problems, I'm perfect. <laughs> feeling bad isn't enough. It needs to lead us to say, I agree with God. I have to change. That's godly sorrow. Chuck, Chuck Smith said, Sorrow alone accomplishes nothing. Peter was sorry he denied Christ and he repented. Godly sorrow. Judas was sorry he betake, betrayed Christ, but, he, but instead of repenting, he went and killed himself. He just felt bad. Feeling bad is only the beginning. It needs to lead to change. Look at verse 11. Observe this very thing. You sorrowed in a godly manner. What dilig- Notice this list of the things they did, guys. This is wonderful. Godly, godly repentance, okay, do not miss this. 
If you get anything, get this. Godly repentance is observable. You can tell when somebody is sorry in a godly manner. You can tell when somebody is sorry in a worldly manner because they just talk about it. But if you're sorry in a godly manner, there are steps taken to change the situation. Observe this very thing. You saw it in a godly manner. Look what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. And there's some definitions there and you can read them. But notice the last part of verse 11. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. You did what? You proved yourself. You didn't make excuses. You didn't say Paul Corinth is a hard city to live in. And it was. You didn't talk about the immorality of the city, and there was a lot of it. You didn't talk about the persecution. In all things, they said, we have to own this. We are wrong. As a church, we are wrong, and we need to change. And Paul said, man, you guys went over and above in making things right. That, that has happened here at Cornerstone in the, in, in the past, and it's currently happening with some people. And you know what? I applaud it. I love it when a person kind of goes, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired it's time to make a change. And it's not that we are doing this apart from God. God is doing it with us, in us, and through us. But we are agreeing with him and we're putting our hand to the plow and we're saying, you know what? I'm, this has to change. I'm not promising to never do it again. There's no scripture that says we should promise to never do it again. But we are to agree with God and then make every effort that we can. And so beautiful, Paul's so excited for them. In every effort you proved yourself, in every way you proved yourself to be clear. Verse 12, Look at Paul's response, his heart towards them. Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who suffered the wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. Now, if you have the New International Version or another version, Revised Standard Version, it says the opposite. This is one of those weird verses. NIV says, so that you could see for yourselves how devoted you are to us. So which is it? I don't know. The original Greek is completely without error. The translation can sometimes be a little concerned, a little, a little bit confusing. But what is the point? The main point in both, in all the versions, I didn't write this for him, and I didn't write it for that, and I didn't write it, this letter, to see who was right. I wanted our hearts to be made known. You can read it either way you want. The bottom line was said, as I, as I write this letter, our hearts are known. Now the Corinthians, do you think the Corinthians were relieved? And I'm asking you a question so you'll respond with, with your voice. Do you think the Corinthians were relieved that they did the right thing? Yeah. Way to go! <laughs> Feels good to do the right thing. So Paul says, I, it wasn't about this, him or her. It, was about, it wasn't about who was right. Don't Put this on your refrigerator. It wasn't about who was right, it was about what was right about what was right. Verse 13, Therefore we have been comforted in your comfort. We rejoice exceedingly the more because of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if in anything, verse 14, I have boasted to him about you, I am not ashamed. Paul said, I bragged about you and you came through. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true. And his affections are greater for you, verse 15, as he remembers the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. You know how I feel about people that really repent from their sins? I love them more. I admire them more. I'm excited 
about them more. I'm inspired by them. When I see somebody that says, you know what, I've been wrong, and they change, I just go, wow, look at them go. Look at them do it. That's what, that's what he's saying here. Titus, verse 15, his affections are greater for you. And that's what godly repentance brings. It brings a godly admiration and a deeper love as we repent, as, as other people repent. It's just a sweeter situation. Finally, verse 16, Therefore I rejoice that I have confidence in you and everything. Now that, you guys, was a tough situation, wasn't it? That was a tough situation. Just, just that one chapter could like make a whole you know, episode in a miniseries on Netflix or Amazon or something. That, that's human drama. That's Christian faith. That's maturity. That's love. That's love, both giving and receiving. That's where we need to go. <laughs> That's where we need to be. If you want to live a safe life, don't follow Jesus. If you want to live risk-free and never get your feathers ruffled, as they say, don't follow Jesus. But as you follow him, you experience all that stuff at the end of chapter 6. You're my father. You're with me. You walk with me. So that when the craziness of life comes, God isn't a far away relative. He's right there. Because you're walking with him all the time. Is there a difference between individual repentance and a church as a whole like the Corinthians? Yeah, I believe there is. I think a church, a church can adopt a mentality... I mean, church, church is, is groupthink. And a church can have an unhealthy groupthink. And uh, that's why we study the Bible, so that we don't have wrong groupthink. We need to have biblical groupthink. But the Corinthians had been taught by, by the, the, the most brilliant and best Christian probably that ever walked the earth, and they still went off the rails. And it probably started with one or two and then that infected five or ten and that infected a lot more. And they had wrong groupthink. So as a church, they needed to repent. And then, of course, sometimes as individuals, we need to repent. That's a good question. Thank you.